Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently, so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Guess who's Bizak? You still smell the crack in my clothes. Don't make me have to relapse on these hoes. Take it back down the tax in the road. When I was hugging it, niggas couldn't do nothing with it. Straight from the oven with it. Came from the dirt. I emerged from it all without a stain on my shirt. You could blame my old earth for the shit she instilled in me. Still with me. Pain plus work. Shit, she made me milk this game for all this work. That's right. Niggas can't fuck with me. I'm calling guts every time. Drag my nuts every time, homie. We make a great combination, don't we? Me in the face, small. Every time we face off, face it, y'all. It has been a while, and I'm well aware of that. It was like December 8th, last time I posted a podcast, I think. So for that, I apologize. But it is nice to get a bunch of inquiries asking when the next podcast is going to be. And believe me, I've got plenty of tales to report on between the last one and today. I might jump around a little bit, but I'm going to cover all of it. I've got some notes, but it's not necessarily in chronological order. So don't get fussy if I jump around a little bit. So when I left out to go to Texas for the holidays, I get an email from a landlord and he's furious about the pig pen and the pigs living on the property. And I don't know why. There's like 20-something acres of property where I live. There's no neighbors around other than the little Nico family who they don't care if I have pigs. But this guy's from California. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But I'm from Texas. And I think that has something to do with it. Because where I'm from, if you have a bunch of property... And you have some animals, it's no big deal. Like, you're supposed to have some animals if you have property. But I can only assume that where he's from, they like to picture themselves living in a very high-scale, nice, walled-in estate where having livestock would be completely unacceptable because he could not understand why I wanted to have pigs. And I didn't even try to explain it to him. I just said, he sent me some nasty email and I responded, and I said, in his email, he said to me, where in the lease did it say you could have livestock on the property? And my response to him was, where in the lease did it say that I couldn't? And then I proceeded to say the pigs will be gone within seven days. He insisted that everything be rectified to the way it was before he got down here. He was coming down to visit and wanted to look at everything. So I said, okay, don't worry, we'll get rid of them. So I told Ronnie, pig fire sale like just sell these things get them out of here we're feeding them every day let's just get them out so he said okay so 
couple days into my trip to Texas, I called Ronnie to check in on the pig situation. And he informed me that he sold three out of four of them. Each pig that he sold, we lost about $40 on. There was one pig left. And I sold that one the day before the landlord got here. And I broke even on that one. So all in all, it was a $120 loss, not counting the labor that Ronnie put into it. Pig lesson learned. Much cheaper to buy them from someone else. So we got the pig sold. We got the fence taken down. And when he showed up, there were some remnants of a little pig pen, but it wasn't in its full capacity. He proceeded to tell me how disappointed he was in the pig pen and blah, blah, blah. Well, about that time, the entire roof and ceiling was missing from my house. So I told him, well, the pig pen situation may have been a little disappointing to you, but I don't know if you've seen the roof of the house lately because there's not one and there's not a ceiling. So the plan was for them to replace the roof while I was gone. For the three weeks that I was gone, they were going to replace the roof. They would not need to come inside. Everything was going to be done from the outside. So I had a friend who volunteered to stay at the house, watch the dogs in exchange for using the house, and he could use my truck. Okay, perfect. Good deal. The day after I leave, he sends me a picture from the master bedroom looking up at what would be the ceiling, but it's blue sky. For whatever reason, these guys decided to rip off all the ceiling and the roof of the entire house. And it was sheetrock ceiling. And they didn't cover one thing with a drop cloth. They didn't move one thing. They let it rain down sheetrock dust, mud, and bat feces all over the entire house. I couldn't believe it. So, of course, the guy that was supposed to be staying at my house had nowhere to go. So he bounced around from couch to couch with two dogs and my truck while they were supposed to get this done. And when they first ripped it off, they told them it'd be done in like five days. And everyone knew there's no possible way. So what they said five days turned out to be five weeks. So after my three-week stay in Texas, I come back, and they said, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's about ready. And I walk in. All the furniture has been moved. Ronnie took all of my belongings, anything of any value, and moved them out into the storage building. Everything's covered in sheetrock dust. There's paint buckets all over the house. The living room looks like a hardware store. And so I said, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm not paying to stay here. So I duke it out with the landlord. He agrees to waive uh, the rent for the month of January. I found another house. Well, about that time, my truck's clutch goes out. And just like they say, when it rains, it pours. Luckily, I had a friend coming down, and she was able to bring a clutch for my truck. Because as soon as it went out, or I knew that it was going out, I contacted the Toyota dealership, asked them if they had the clutch. No, they don't have it. They have to order it from the States. It takes like a month. I was like, well, no, that's not going to work. So luckily, my friend was coming down. I ordered a clutch, had it overnighted to her house, and she brought it down. And so even that, I was out of a truck for about a week and a half. And so in that week and a half, I went through like three other vehicles, so the first one, so I ended up having to park my truck. Clutch was too bad. Couldn't drive the truck. So the first truck that I had after mine was parked was Jerry's truck. He and Karen rented out their house, and they decided to stay in town. 
at a hostel that some friends of ours own because it was going to be so crowded. The week between Christmas and New Year's is a madhouse. Parking's terrible in town. So they just decided to park their truck at my house and stay in town, which was great. Very generous of them. I used the truck, and then when their stay ended, he needed his truck back. So gave him his truck back. That was number one. Then number two, I go to my buddy Kenny, who has a spare truck. And it's like an old 1970-something Toyota. Like, all this thing does is start and drive. Like No power brakes, no power steering, no radio, like nothing electronic, no AC, no heater, like nothing. Just starts and goes. No windshield wipers. I don't know about the lights and blinkers. So the first day I get it, I'm going to the new house, the replacement house while mine's still being worked on. And it's up a pretty steep hill. And that little thing could not get up the hill. I mean, it barely could. I had to kick it and spur it and slap it to get it up there. Finally, I got it up there and I thought, you know what? This this truck is not going to work. This truck will die. It will burn up. It will catch on fire. Something's going to happen to it. I can't do this. So I go and rent a truck. And this time, by this time, my truck's getting worked on and it only needs like two or three more days worth of work. So the rental truck worked out. It cost me a little bit of extra money, but at least I wasn't destroying someone else's truck. Well, I was, but it was a company and I didn't feel bad because I was paying for it. But the clutch situation worked out okay. I took the clutch in the flywheel. We had to take it to Rebus and get the flywheel turned down because it had been kind of chewed up from the old clutch. He also, the mechanic, when he was working on it, saw that there was a, a piece of exhaust tubing that the weld was starting to break, so he went ahead and pulled it off. So he drove the exhaust pipe and the clutch to Revis. They did the work. It was 40 bucks. He finished putting the clutch in. I had it back the next day. And the entire bill for labor was $200, which I didn't think was that bad. I mean, the guy did it in his driveway. But... He had the truck for four days. One of the days he spent with me going to Rebus. The other two days he was working on it. So 200 bucks for three days worth of labor. My opinion, that's a pretty good deal. But my trip to the U.S. was good. I had a good time. Ate a lot of good food. Did some hunting. Hung out with the family. Spent some time with my mom and dad. But it was good. On the way back, flight was delayed. All kinds of weather problems. I ended up staying an extra day and a half in Texas and then finally got me back but it was frustrating at the time but looking back on it it's no big deal but it's always frustrating when you get travel plans that are screwed up one thing that hit me when I was back in the U.S. and I don't know if it's getting more and more apparent to me or I just kind of forget about it when I come back to Nicaragua but when I drive around there it blows me away like how much money the U.S. has, and everyone in the U.S. And I know there's plenty of people out there that wish they had more money, but living in a third-world country where only the top maybe 10% of earners have vehicles, going from that to miles and miles and miles of car dealerships and RV dealerships and ATV dealerships and extremely nice grocery stores, and traffic that just flows most of the time. You know, every now and then you get on the interstate and you get traffic. But compared to Managua, the traffic in Houston is easy. But it just, it just jumps out at me every time I go back how much money there is there. And 
I'm sure it's due to several things, but corruption of the Nicaraguan government, socialism, and then the lack of the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, are the three biggest things. But when you're driving around in the States, just look around and just think of, look at things and just think about what that costs, not just to buy it, but to make it and to transport it and to insure it and all the little costs that go with that. After living in a third world country, it's, it's kind of amazing. So when I got back from the States, it was the week between Christmas and New Year's. And around that time is when people really get into fireworks. And I've mentioned them before. They got these giant things called bombas. And I think on the last podcast, I said that I wanted to buy some and try them. And so that's what I did. One day we were sitting at Zach's house. It was me, Zach, our friend Gio, and maybe a couple other guys. And a lot of times people walk down the street, just vendors, and, and they sell things because people here don't have cars. So they'll sell fruit or vegetables or pillows or soap or whatever. They just walk down the road and they just they holler out what they have. And a lot of them carry it with them. They just walk. So every now and then you have a truck with a big speaker that's announcing it. But most of the time it's just a guy or a girl walking, selling stuff. And so someone's out there walking down the road, yelling something in Spanish. I couldn't really hear him. I didn't understand him. And Gio looks up at me and Zach goes, uh, they have fireworks. And so I jump up and run outside. And he's got a big cardboard box that he's carrying on his head. And I'm like, what all you got? And he shows me like black cats and Roman candles and bottle rockets. And I didn't want any of that. I've, I've done all that. I said, no, what's the cheapest thing you have? And then he like opens up this other little box. And these firecrackers were almost the size of a Coke can. Maybe like one and a half the size of a shot glass. Like you can't fit your hand all the way around it. Maybe the size of like a Red Bull can. But anyway, so I was looking at them, how they were made. And it's nothing but like magazine paper, like maybe a quarter of an inch thick. That's wrapped in a circle and glued together. And then inside of that cylinder, they put wax on the bottom. Or actually, it's like JB Weld. It's some kind of epoxy. They put that and then gunpowder and then another layer of the epoxy and then a fuse. And so I don't even remember how much they were. They were almost free. But I bought like four or five of them. A couple of days go by, and we were walking down the street, and there was this big party going on inside of a hostel. And so I had one of them in my truck right on the road. I told Jerry, I said, man, let's, let's throw one of these right in that doorway. So he's like, okay. So we get one of these gigantic firecrackers, light it, throw it in the doorway, and it explodes, and people duck and cover. They thought they were under attack. When it blew up, the shreds from the magazine wrapper just went everywhere. So it was like snowing magazine wrapper while people were climbing out from underneath the tables. It was pretty funny. We did four or five more of them but not so close to a crowd. It was much more powerful than I expected. But those are the ones that kids blow their hands off playing with. They're fun. So if you ever come down to visit, remind me, and we'll buy some bombas. So going back to the house that I stayed in while my house was under destruction, it was a pretty nice house. It's this big, it's like someone built a gigantic roof with like four posts, and then they built a house underneath it. And so the only thing that's inside are the bedrooms. Everything else is under this huge roof. The kitchen, the dining room, there's a big living area. There's a pool that's like halfway covered. But it's a huge roof. And so it's all open. There's not, not many rooms. Which is cool. It was a nice place, really good view. 
but the pool is out of order. I got a little discount on the house. So the pool is out of order. So the day after I move in, they're like, oh, they're going to come start working on the pool. So these guys would show up at like 7 o'clock, cutting tile, pounding, hammering, banging, smoking cigarettes, talking so loud. I don't understand why some Nicaraguans talk so loud, but they do. And when you're trying to sleep, it's not too awesome. But the Cuidador dynamic at this house was completely different than the way Ronnie is. It's like I felt like I had Cuidador roommates. And so the Cuidadors, like I've mentioned before, are the caretakers of the property. They you know, fix things in the house, manage the garden, cut the grass, whatever they got to do. It's like house managers. And normally they kind of keep their distance. They kind of stay under the radar. They don't bother you. They don't get in your way. They don't come into your living area. They do their thing and you do yours. Well, these guys, it's like having two extra roommates. It's two brothers, and they're supposed to work 24-hour shifts. So one works 24 hours, then the other one works 24 hours. Well, half the time, they were both there just kicking it. And so I'm like sitting at the dining room table working, and they're sitting in rocking chairs in the middle of the living room, smoking cigarettes, talking to each other loud, talking so loud. And it was starting to get annoying. I didn't say anything to them while I was there because I didn't want to have my things in their possession, my dogs at the house, and then be mad at me. So I just kind of took notes of everything, and then I related it to the property manager when I left. But on New Year's Day, the morning of New Year's Day, so New Year's Eve was the night before. Typically, people don't go to bed too early on New Year's Eve, especially if you're in like a tourist party town. So went to bed really, really, really late at 7 o'clock. They're having a cuidador and cleaning lady convention in the kitchen. And they're talking to each other, and it's so loud. My door's wide open. They can look in the bedroom and see me trying to sleep, and it does not deter the volume of their conversation one bit. They're just yipping and yapping, going back and forth. Finally, I go, hey, hey, and they looked at me, and I did like the finger up to the lip sign. I go, shh, and I did like the I'm sleeping sign. Well, one of the guys storms into the bedroom, grabs a door, and slams it closed and storms off. And I was absolutely stunned. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I had to rub my eyes and make sure that it really happened. I couldn't believe it. So we kind of got off on the wrong foot. And from then on, we never really clicked. And it was always like a little bit of a battle over space. It, it was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced as far as living in a house with a stranger. They would keep their food in the refrigerator and come and get my ice. And they ate some food that I had. I bought like some chicken lady food. It was inside of a box to go box, like in the fridge. And I came back and it was like half eaten. They had like half the chicken breast and half the rice and beans. I couldn't believe it. So finally, when I moved out, I sent a letter to the property management company and they cut me a little bit of slack on my rent. But that's, that's not what I wanted. I just, I couldn't imagine someone who's not familiar with this country and the way things work, and they showed up to stay at that house on vacation. And that house normally rents for $350 a night, so it's not just a dump. Like People who go there have a decent amount of money. Now, that's not what I paid for it, but that's what it rents for in the vacation market. Another dynamic that's funny to me, well, maybe it's not a dynamic, I don't know, but another thing that's funny to me 
is that how men are not scared to urinate in public here. They will whip it out and let it go anywhere. On the way back from the airport, I was riding with a guy, and it's my friend Byron who's a taxi driver. Well, sometimes he sends his dad, and his dad has an old ratty car that's always hot, it's always loud. He blares the Nicaraguan talk news, which I think I've mentioned it before on here. But they just they talk really loud on the radio. And then in the background, there's always some kind of loud, annoying noise. And the example that I used before was like the old sound that they used to use on like news broadcasts to get your attention. It would be like, Beep, 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 beep. And now the news brought to you. So it's like that. But it's in the background the entire time while they're reading the news. And it's the most unpleasant experience I can think about on a radio. So I immediately get my headphones out and put them on. Close my eyes. Stick my head out the window to try to get fresh air. And just pray that we make it to San Juan very quickly. But we're about 30 miles outside of San Juan, and he pulls over the car. And I'm thinking, what is he stopping for? Is this where, is this where they try to rob me? Bring it on. No, I knew they weren't going to do that. But he walks around the car and just on the side of the road, peeing, like not even trying to be behind the car. Just goes behind the car, is peeing, facing like oncoming traffic. All I could do is laugh. He gets back in the car and goes, oh, much better. And I just started laughing. I said, man, you don't even try to hide behind the car or behind the door or behind the tree. He just looked at me. I was like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> I was like, yep, okay. Welcome to Nicaragua. But you'll see it all the time. You see people, uh, there's some bums in town, and, you know, they get all liquored up, and they'll just sit, whip it out in the middle of the road and just pee. And it's, that's quite disgusting. It's pretty bad when you're walking down the road and you're eating like a popsicle or a banana, and you look up and you see that, man, I just shiver and turn the other way. One thing that was funny to me about the cuidadors at that other house was their language. And I don't mean like dirty language or bad language or potty mouth. I mean just the way that they speak with a strong, strong accent. And they run their words together. And I can only understand a about 10 or 15% of what they say. And a normal person, Nicaraguan, I would probably get 75 to 80% of what they're saying. But these guys are so thick. And I got to thinking about it. I thought, you know, I can only imagine someone who's trying to learn English and they go out and they meet somebody from West Texas and they're trying to talk to them, but they drag out all their words and they put, random breaks in the words they might ought to be pretty confused and so I thought about that and I thought okay that, it all kind of makes sense now so I just tell them to go a little bit slower and a little bit louder and they get the louder part but they can't go much slower than what they're doing but it was just interesting to me to see how different the accents can be and I know that holds true everywhere but man it's tough I know I've talked before also about the street vendor ladies that cook chicken outside on the sidewalk. And you know, they, they 
grill up chicken, beef, or pork, gallo pinto, which is rice and beans mixed together, plantains, and like a cabbage salad thing. And anyone can do it. I don't think you have to have a permit. You don't have to have a business. You just cook on your sidewalk. As long as you're Nicaraguan, you can cook on your sidewalk. I won't jack with you. So the ladies, boy, when it's a popular weekend, there's a lot of people in town, they will come out on the sidewalks and they will cook. Because I think that they see that there's a higher demand than there's a supply for the food. So they all get out there. They all serve the exact same thing. It's the exact same price. Some ladies are better than others. But I was walking down the street on my way home, and I stopped, and I wanted to buy a naka tamale, which is like a big, giant tamale made in Nicaragua. And so I said, give me a naka tamale. She gives me one. I hand her the normal 40 Cordobas, which is just under $2. And she goes, no, they're 50 I'm like, oh, the prices went up. And she goes, yeah, because it's New Year's. And so... Not only do they come out and sell things when they normally don't, but they also jack the prices up, which I thought it was funny. She says, she, and I looked at her and I go, well, do your prices go up? Do you pay more for, for New Year's? And I was just curious. I'm not, I wasn't battling with her. I was just curious. And she was like, no, but everyone else, the people pay more. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, so you know since there's more people and there's less food than what there needs to be, you can charge more. And she's like, yep. I was like, okay, perfect. It's uh, capitalism at its finest. But I thought it was funny. She's like, oh, everything gets more expensive for New Year's. And I talked to a couple of people and asked around. They said, yeah, random people just raise their prices. And a lot of hostels and hotels do the same thing. So I guess it's no different. I got in my first wreck with another vehicle in Nicaragua. I was in Rivas at the market. And it's super tight. Like The parking situation is not optimal. It's... Everything's real close together. It's traffic, foot traffic all around. It's it's pretty miserable driving through there, but you got to do it if you want to park there. So I park, run around the market, do whatever I got to do. I'm backing out. I think I'm looking. My head's on a swivel. All of a sudden, I hear, whoa, whoa, and then I hit something. And I was like, oh, no. So pull forward, put the truck in park, hop out, run back there. It's this old, crappy taxi that is held together with like Bondo and string. And you couldn't tell which mark the truck put on the old crappy taxi. But you could see a little mark on the bumper from where the truck hit the blue paint. And so they're like, oh no, we need to call the police. We need to do this. And I I knew that that's their scare tactic to try to get you to break out your wallet. So I said, no, we don't really need to call the police. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you some money to fix your car, and then we're going to be done here. And he's like, okay, okay. And he started out at $100, and we ended up at like 18 <laughs> So we all know he didn't use that money to fix his car, but in justice, he needed some compensation. So we went from $100 to 500 Cordobas, which is about $18, $19. And he was happy. Shook my hand, walk off. He probably went went to the bar, started buying beers for everybody. I didn't really get nervous because it wasn't bad. It was just a little fender bender. But if it was a bad wreck, I'd be nervous that the cops are going to want to come. They're going to want money. Then the owner's going to want money. Then they're going to say that they got hurt. So I'm real careful about driving down here, especially because the tags of my truck aren't exactly right. Like, they're acceptable, 
but there's still some information that can't be processed because I can't get my residency, which is another joke. I checked on my residency. Now, this has been going on since July. The Department of Residency issuing is still shut down. No one knows when it's going to start. No one knows who to ask. They can tell us when it will start. It's just shut down. And they think that I'm crazy for asking and not understanding it. It's just such a typical thing that happens here. They're all used to it. But if it were my government, I would be absolutely embarrassed. One of the funniest things I've seen in a while happened while I was staying at the other house. I was in the hammock reading, and all of a sudden the cuidador runs up and says, Amigo, amigo, there's a fire outside. And I was like, okay. So I stand up. I go walk over there. I'm looking around. I don't see things like, no, look up on the power pole. So I look at the top of this power pole, and it's got a big round cylinder transformer on it. But above that, there's a little fire on top of the pole. And I was like, well, that's odd. You know, the transformer didn't explode and cause it was like above the transformer. Power was still on at the house. So I just told him, let's just watch it. You know, probably go out. And it kept burning, and it kept burning, and parts of the pole were falling down into the field below and catching the grass on fire. And that little cuidador would, it was a big, steep hill to the driveway. So he would get a bucket and fill it full of water, and he'd run down the hill as fast as he could, and he'd dump it out, and he'd run back up. He must have probably gone 15 times. Finally, the fire started getting a little bit out of control-ish. I stepped in and carried down two five-gallon water jugs and we got it subdued but it kept burning down the pole and it burned off the bracket that holds the guy wire that keeps the pole upright the wind's howling it's now dark time goes by it's still burning finally at 11 o'clock the power company shows up this is after about four hours they show up and I'm watching them. I said, man, this is going to get interesting because I want to see how they're going to put this fire out. So they get a pole, like an extendable telescoping pole, and they tie a bag to the top of that pole, and they fill the bag with water. And so you got this guy with a bag full of water trying to raise it up this telescoping pole to set the bag on top of the burning embers to put them out. And don't forget, we got a live power pole. So we got water, fire, and electricity, like something great is bound to happen. So they raise it up there. You got five guys yelling orders at the top of their lungs to one guy that's trying to operate the pole. And he can't see because he's directly below everything. So he finally gets it up there, sets that bag on top of the burning embers. It kind of puts it out. They're all high-fiving each other. They think they got it. And then poof, it ignites right back up again. Like, oh, so then they did it again. This time they got a bigger bag, and they raise it up there, and they put it on there, puts it out. Split second later, poof, comes right back again. So they figured out that that wasn't going to be enough water. So they took a ladder, set it up. Guy climbs up to the pole. He did have a safety harness on, but that's it. Clips himself in the safety harness, and he's now on top of the pole, grasping the pole with his left hand, He's got spikes on his feet. He's above the ladder. And he's hugging the pole. And then he's trying to bring up a rope tied to a bucket that's full of water with one hand. And using like the fingers from his other hand that are wrapped on the pole. So he manages to get it like all the way up there. 
Now he's pouring a bucket of water on top of a fire, and he's like two inches away from this giant transformer. And I think they may have cut the power off at this point, but the power off wasn't off at the house because it had a generator. So the power goes off, the generator automatically kicked on. So I wasn't sure, but I think that they cut the power off. Either way, he wrangles the bucket up there, dumps it, does it two or three more times, and then they finally get it out. So then they come down, and they tell the Quidador, and this is the power company called Union Finosa. They're all the power company for Nicaragua, owned by the government. And so they tell the Quidador, well, this is, a, this is a private neighborhood, and all these poles were put in by the Omer Association, so we don't maintain the poles. We don't fix them. Uh, we'll turn the power back on whenever you guys get the pole fixed. And so I didn't care. They had a generator. Well, I talked to the property manager, and I said, hey, I heard about the pole over there. You know, we talked talked about the situation. He's like, oh, yeah, but they're going to come back and fix it. I said, man, they said it's not their responsibility. He's like, no, it's not. But we pay them to come back off the clock. So they'll come back off the clock with the truck, all the tools, all the equipment from the power company, fix the pole, and then pocket their money. And that's just the way things work in Nicaragua. And they were out there the next day. I mean, they had everything fixed and put back together within 24 hours. And that's, that's part of their scam. You know, that's how they that build that into their salary. You might only make $400 per month base, but you get to do some dirty stuff on the side and make more money. That's the socialist way. Okay, I think that's going to wrap up today's program. Uh, a couple of things that are going on. We're getting closer to the 306 classification. I went to Managua and had a meeting with them. Of course, everything could have been discussed over email, but they love to make you drive two and a half hours and sit down in person. So we're making progress. I'm probably going to be moving. My uh, lease is up in my house, and the landlord said he doesn't want to renew it, probably because he's sick of pigs on his property or something stupid like that. So I'm going to be moving, house hunting, and uh, I'll keep everyone abreast on what happens. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Sorry it's been so long between podcasts, but I am back. I'm going to try to get back on the regular schedule. Shoot me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com. If you have any questions about life here, let me know and I'll answer them. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.